Thank you, guys. What a, what a blessing to be here today with you. And uh, I will say it is exciting to be standing right here. I got some big shoes to fill. I just haven't found them. Little boy was sitting on his front porch. He was so sad and so just dejected because of what had happened that day. And I think like most little boys and and uh, especially little girls too in a family, when you find there's difficulty and struggles that take place within a family, children listen. They listen to what mom and dad usually say to each other, especially when mom and dad don't know that children will listen. Amen? They do. So y'all experience that. A little boy was sitting on the front porch. His face was just buried into his hands. And the dad came home at that time, and he sat down beside him, and he said, Son... What seems to be the problem? And the little boy said, Dad, just between us, I can't get along with your wife either. <laughs> you know, I brought my bag of joy today. Y'all saw that, saw my bag of joy. I know it doesn't really match my outfit, but my wife did not see me leave the house with this this morning. But I brought my bag of joy because I wanted to show you that you get to carry joy wherever you go. Yeah? I want to share with you the joy that I have inside my bag here. Oh, right there. Oh, I love it. It's picture frame. Yeah? Got my, my wife, my daughter, my son when he was really, 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 really little, which means Allison was even littler. But I've got my, my family there. I take my family with joy. Sorry, y'all don't get to see that. I got something else down in here. Oh, oh, look at that. A joystick. I've got a joystick here. You know, you can play a lot of games and have a lot of fun with that joystick. I'm going to leave that right there because my son's really good at games. Uh, I've got, oh, ha, almond joy. Yeah, got my almond joy right there. I've also got over here, what's this? Cry, babies. Who put those in there? Uh, no, I got, there it is. Yeah. Jolly Ranchers. Huh? Jolly Ranchers. I carry, yeah, I see you salivating over here. There's my Jolly Ranchers. And uh, we got something else. In, look at that. You know, who can't be happy with bubbles? You carry bubbles. You open that up and start blowing bubbles. Even adults smile. Right there, I got my bubbles. Uh, oh, what's that? Oh, yeah, I had Jolly Ranchers. Look at this. They make Jolly Rancher Jello. Jolly Jello. Huh? I'm telling you, you ought to tweet that right there if you're on Twitter. And uh, I've got, oh, yeah, look at this. Yeah. I got a ball emoji. Joy right there. Got that. Still having here. Oh, well, I, I couldn't forget this. I actually went out and bought some joy. Huh? I got joy right there. I got joy down in my heart. Deep, deep, deep. Well, that's joy in a bag. What happens when you lose your joy? You know what happens when you lose your joy and all the bubbles are gone? And all the soap is gone, and all the candy's gone, and 
Really, without joy, all you have is a wet almond. Some of y'all get that. Without joy, you know, I've got this without the joy stick. Break that sucker off and all you got is a numbskull or numchuck or whatever they call that thing. It's just a numb, just numb. You take the joy away from this and all you got is a worn out ball. We got some of those laying around and God forbid joy be taken away from you. And all you got left is a picture frame. Memories. That's it. You know, guys, I don't know what you're experiencing today, but I would say this. If you have come this morning and you've lost some joy, I would hope that by now, with the, with the songs, with the worship, that there's a little bit more joy inside of you. I know a family right now that's grieving perhaps the loss of a family member. You're here today. Joy. I know a man right now that's in the hospital because of heart surgeries, and he's feeling the pain of that. You know the pain of that, but you're here. Joy. Joy. Well, I want to take you to Philippians chapter 4 this morning. And I want you to understand that joy is something that you are. It's not something that comes and goes. Happiness comes and goes. But joy is something that is there in the midst of you. In Philippians chapter 4, with verse 4, he simply says this. He says, rejoice In the Lord always, again, I will say rejoice. Now, why does he say that twice? Rejoice in the Lord always, again, I say rejoice. Well, he uses the word there, the Greek word is chiro. And that means gladness. That means rejoice. It doesn't mean happiness. You need to understand that happiness and joy are two different things. Happiness is a feeling. Joy is really a state of being. Uh, I don't know very many people that rejoice that they get cancer. I don't know very many people that rejoice that they've got a bad grade in a class. And I don't know very many people that would rejoice because a loved one has passed away. But the Bible tells us that we are to rejoice in the Lord always, to rejoice Regardless of what the reality is around you, regardless of what you are facing today, regardless of all the circumstances that may be coming your way, this word rejoice is a present active imperative. That means this. This is something you choose to do today, irregardless of what's happening around you. Rejoice. Rejoice. But it also says something specific here. It says to rejoice because... Something has happened in your life. Now, I don't know if you know this, but according to the Bureau of Standards in Washington, they have measured out this idea of fog. We don't get a lot of fog around here, do we? But if you live in, in some cities where you know, there's a lot of fog, they say they can measure fog seven city blocks, 100 feet deep. And do you know how much Water is contained in that fog less than a glass. 
less than a glass is contained in that seven street city block, a hundred feet of water. But you take those 60 billion water droplets and you sparse them out and they will cover the landscape where you can't see five, six, seven feet in front of you. Less than half a glass. And that's what happens sometimes in our lives when troubles, circumstances, life situations, they come and they just scatter. They scatter everywhere. And next thing you know, we can't even see that far in front of us. We don't even know how to rejoice. But we rejoice because we are to rejoice in the Lord. Notice the Bible didn't say rejoice in your circumstances. Rejoice in the cancer. Rejoice in the heart problems. Rejoice in the job loss. Rejoice in the failed marriage. Rejoice in the child that has gone wayward. doesn't say that, does it? It says rejoice in the Lord. Kurios. It's all about being in Christ. If you are in Christ, that means that it is in Christ that your joy resides. You know, I used to think growing up when I would hear people tell their testimonies and some would go on and on and on for some 30, 45 minutes about how they killed people and how they, how they drank all sorts of stuff and took all kinds of drugs. I was being called to a church as a youth minister in one of my stints going through seminary and they asked me to give my testimony, you know, to the youth and the youth parents at a luncheon. Well, I, I got through eating and I stood up and I said, well, see, y'all don't know much about me, do you? Toby doesn't even know a whole lot about me and he let me stand up here. You should pray harder for him. But I got up there and I said, okay, folks, when I was in eighth grade, I started drinking alcohol. When I was in 10th grade, I started doing some really bad drugs. When I was a senior in high school, I killed somebody. And you could hear these parents. They were in the kitchen kind of cleaning. It's like when I started saying that stuff, boy, all the dishes got quiet until I told them that I killed somebody. And then they just started laughing. Guys, I've never drank beer. I, I, I've never smoked. I was telling some of the choir members that I tried some chew tobacco. That was the two times I made a mistake in my life. You'll have to ask one of them. Never killed anybody. Nine months before I was born, I was in church. <laughs> every time the doors were open, every time the doors were open at church, my dad had us there. We traveled right behind him. We went to every church that he went and served in musically. And I would tell you that my dad taught me how to rejoice in the Lord. My dad was a passionate man. He'd have me seven, eight, nine years of age standing on a stage with my little falsetto voice singing, he's still working on me. Yeah, that was me. I grew up and I still sing like that. But I just want you to know, it is in the Lord that we are to rejoice. But we're only to rejoice in the Lord on Sunday mornings. Okay, rejoice in the Lord on Wednesday nights too. Rejoice in the Lord on Thursdays when they offer ribeye steaks for the men? No, the Bible says to rejoice in the Lord always. Pantote. 
Pantote. Always, at all times, no matter how dark your circumstances may be, no matter what circumstances may be coming against you, you rejoice in the Lord always, always. That's why I like my grandmother, when she would come and visit us before she would leave, she would grab my hand and she would say, now Robert, all things work together for good to those that love the Lord and are called according to his promises. You're going to be okay. My grandmother prayed for me at 4.30 every morning. Uh, precious, precious lady. I hope you have grandmothers that are praying for you. Maybe you had one that did pray for you, but I guarantee you, had it not been for my grandmother praying for me, had it not been for my dad taking me to church, uh, I may have started drinking in eighth grade and killed somebody when I was a senior in high school. But we rejoice in the Lord always. Isaiah 41.10 says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And what did Jesus say to his disciples after he told them, Go and do what I've asked you to do? He said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Always. We rejoice in the Lord always because it's in the Lord that we can always rejoice. He is ever-present. He is ever-present in our life. He will never forsake. Friends will come and go. Amen? Some close friends will come and go. Some will even turn their backs on you. Marriages fail. Children grow up, go to college. They take all your money and they leave you broke. <clears throat> That's where I'm at. We're going to take a love offering in just a minute to help me get my son. <clears throat> but even children will disappoint you. God will never fail. You wake up in the morning, you need to go back to Lamentations and realize that every morning God's faithfulness is new. Every morning, his mercies are new. I don't care what happened yesterday. I don't care what happened last week. Forget what lies behind. Press onward. Wake up every morning and go, God, thank you for your new faithfulness. Thank you for your new mercies. Today, I'm going to rejoice in you. And I got up and I started thinking this morning, wow, I get to go tell these folks to rejoice always in the Lord. I got a text from a very dear friend of mine that just gave me some really horrible news and I sat there for a moment thinking, boy, I could just be in trouble right now. And I went, I'm going to tell them to rejoice. I had better start rejoicing right now in what's happening in this young man's life and in the connection that we get to have. I'm going to start rejoicing in this. I need to. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 reiterates what Paul was telling even there, the Philippians, he's telling Thessalonians, rejoice always. Even says, pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In the Lord, in the Lord, you rejoice. Guys, I will tell you this. If you're not rejoicing, it's probably because you're not praying. And if you're praying with wrong motives, praying with the wrong spirit, then you're not going to rejoice either. But if you fail to pray, you will fall pray in this world. Dieter Zanders, pastor of one of the uh, up-and-coming up Generation X churches, and I think it's sad what he came across because he did some research and he came to find out 
after citing Barna studies, he said, he asked people to describe. He said, won't you describe for me uh, in one word, Jesus? Who is Jesus to you in one word? And this is what they came up with. They said, he is wise, he's accepting, he's compassionate, he's gracious, he's humble. He said, man, that's great, that's great. And then he said, won't you describe for me Christians in one word? And this is what they came up with. Critical, exclusive, self-righteous, narrow, repressive. Isn't it a shame that there's a difference between Jesus Christ and those who claim to follow him? It's because everything that happens in our life, we're, we're either giving God glory or, or we're giving man grief. You give God glory, you give man grief. And I would tell you that there are those of us that don't realize that we are the evidence. Everything in our life counts. Every action, every word counts. You know, with previous generations, you could go throughout a, a week and you could just struggle along in a culture that's kind of mediocre, apathetic, complacent, and you could come to a church and even the music and the message could be kind of mediocre and might even be hypocritical and or critical. People would still come to know the Lord. Not so today, folks. We're seeing a change in people. They want to know that what you've got is real. And if what you have is not real, if what you have is not something that they really need, uh, don't, don't imposter your way. Don't imposter your way before people because people are not looking for entertainment. They're looking for a transcendent God. They're looking for somebody that has hope even Howard Hendricks, a professor, an author in Dallas, said in the midst of a generation that's screaming for answers, Christians are stuttering. We are stuttering. God bless us for our stutter. I, all I got to do is just say, you're watching the debate, and everybody loses joy. All I got to say is, you know, we got these two presidential candidates. Everybody loses joy. All I have to say is ISIS, people lose their joy. All I have to say is one of your very dear friends mentioned something that you don't like on Facebook and you lose your joy. It's gone. Isn't it amazing how many things in this life that we look at, we see, we experience, and boom, man, our joy is just gone. We're like the empty bottle. The empty, empty candy wrappers. We're just empty. Or we're like the nunchuck without the joystick. We're just numb. We don't even know what to feel. Well, it's not about feelings. It's about trusting in the Lord with all your heart. Acknowledging him in all your ways. And know that when you acknowledge him, he will direct your paths. Rejoice in the Lord always. I would tell you that, yes, we need to read God's word more often. Some would say that that's probably what we need to do, read God's word more often. And reading God's word really is good. Memorizing God's word is probably better. Meditating upon God's word is the best. But folks, you can read, you can memorize, and you can meditate and never practice. You can never practice God's word if, if that has not transformed you in the Lord. Did you know that Satan knows God's word? 
Did you know that Satan can use Scripture? Maybe you've forgotten that Satan, Satan's been around a long time. Satan has stood toe-to-toe with many kings, princes, evil men of the past. He's still around today. And he knows just as much how to plant seeds of bitterness, how to plant seeds of criticalness, how to plant seeds of depression, how to plant seeds of discouragement. Satan still knows how to do that. He's a liar, a deceiver, he's a stealer. Satan knows how to use God's word in a very unhealthy way. And when he gets your attention, he wins. But when we stop and say, no, I'm not going to get sidetracked by that. We'll rejoice in the Lord always. Pray without ceasing. and everything, give thanks. Dr. Ellen Green, University of Chicago, said this about our so-called knowledge-based theology. We get so quickly sidetracked from the simple story and nature of our faith. We begin to think that theology saves us, that truth is somehow embodied in our theology of atonement or our mastery of eschatological charts. The more we know, the better off we are. But when Jesus wanted to communicate what the kingdom of heaven was like, when Jesus wanted to communicate that, he left out the polysyllables and he told stories about a woman who lost a coin. He told stories about a man who dug for a treasure. When Jesus wanted to tell folks what the kingdom of God was like, he used very simple, basic stories. He didn't use high lofty language. He didn't use some severe, you know, intellectual knowledge. He was very practical. He was very earthy. He was very organic in what he did. And she just simply asked this question, dare we ask for more scholarly explanations from the Son of God who knows the hearts of men? I think sometimes we look and we love what Isaiah says about Jesus He is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the prince of peace. That's who he is. And he shows up and the very last day he is with his disciples. Guess what this son of God does? He stoops to his knees and he washes dirty disciples' feet. Doesn't sound like a seminary professor to me. It sounds like somebody working with youth. I'd pray for Marco. He's working with some of your youth. You have difficulty with him at your house. You think he has any less difficulty up here at church? No. But Jesus washed their feet. Rejoice. Rejoice. I want to go back to Philippians chapter 4 because I want you to walk through me with these final thoughts of rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. We must be right in the Lord. If you're not going to be right in the Lord, then there is no rejoicing. But if you are right with the Lord, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be be made known to all men because the Lord is near. You believe the Lord is near? I believe the Bible tells me that in the last days, the men are going to go from worse to worse to worse to worse to worse. First Thessalonians says, you don't need me to tell you about what the end times are going to be like. They're all around you. But we are to rejoice and let our gentle spirit be made known to all men because the Lord is near. When you read Galatians 
and you find out what the fruit of the Spirit is, it doesn't say, some people get this confused, but they think fruit of the Spirit is fruits, plural. Fruits, plural. That's, that's not true. The fruit of the Spirit, one fruit that has the ability to work its way out in your life, love Somebody got joy over here, don't they? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That ought to be who we are. That ought to be exuding from us because we are right living. The Spirit of God dwells inside of us. Then why is it that sometimes when we lose our joy, there's enmities and strifes? There's jealousies, there's division. You know, that's not fruit of the Spirit. That does not say, that does not wear the jersey of, I'm on the Spirit's team. No, I'm on some other Spirit's team. I'm fouling up the plays of my own team, but we've got to be right in the Lord. Joy and gentleness are two of those, those elements that exude from the believer in Christ, the Lord is near. And he is not only near, he is coming again. And I believe he is coming again and that ought to bring joy to every Christ follower that Christ is coming again. Not that we get to vote on the next presidential candidate and we need to, we need to take that opportunity to do so because men and women have given their life for us to, to make that choice. But Christ is coming again. I don't get excited about a presidential candidate. I don't get excited about the, the, the governor of Texas or city council. I don't get excited about those things. I get excited because Jesus Christ is coming again. He's coming again as the conquering king. He is here. Jesus even told his disciples, he said, look, I promise you, John 16, these things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world, you're going to have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Let me tell you what the Amplified Version puts that. It says it this way. I have told you these things so that in me, in Christ, you may have perfect peace and confidence. In the world, you have tribulation and trials and distress and frustration, but be of good cheer, take courage, be confident, certain, undaunted, for I have overcome the world. I have deprived it of its power to harm you and have conquered it for you. You cannot conquer the world. Jesus has already done that. And if you are rejoicing in the Lord, then you're rejoicing in the status that Jesus Christ has already won. The game's over. He's won. Woo! Bring out the band and the cheerleaders. Let's dance. Oh, I'm sorry, we're Baptist. <laughs> Got to be right in the Lord. You also have to be right about praying. Philippians 4, 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Let your request be made known to God. You know, when you go back and you study the life of David, and you realize that David was a man after God's own heart, and you find in the very uh, latter days of his life, really kind of middle to latter days, that David did something really, really scary. Not only did he commit adultery, but he committed murder in the midst of, of his kingship. And yes, he lost joy. He lost purpose. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. Wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. 
And praise God for the prophet Nathan who showed up and said, David, you messed up. And David could have said, no, I didn't mess up. You messed up. Off with his head. But David listened to Nathan. And he realized, because he was a man after God's own heart, that he recentered. He said, you're right. And you go read the account of Psalms 51, which is his prayer. In verse 1, he just says, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. And he goes on to say, I am the one that has sinned against you and you only. He says, Purify me with hyssop, I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. You know, when you're not right in the Lord and you're not right praying, there's no joy. You're just saying, oh Lord, what's going to happen in the United States? Oh Lord, what's going to happen with Vernon High School? Oh Lord, what's going to happen with Whoever. If we're not right in the Lord and we're not right in our prayers, then there will be no joy or gladness. And he keeps going on in his prayer and says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. But what does he say? What does he ask for? Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. I think when we understand the joy of that salvation, we understand that it is the peace of God that passes all comprehension. That's what guards our hearts and our minds in Christ. Isaiah 26.3 says, The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. In God, the Lord, we have an everlasting rock. You have to be right in the Lord and you have to be right praying, but you also have to be right thinking. Philippians 4, 8 says this. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Stay right there on these things. Well, I lost my job. I wonder what I'm going to do now. My boss doesn't like me. My teacher doesn't like me. My friends, they're ignoring me. Woe is me. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Come on. Whoa. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. Whoa. Y'all hadn't watched Hee Haw in a long time, have you? <laughs> if it were for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Y'all catching on now. That's what happens when you just kind of dwell on the gloom and despair. When you dwell on the gloom and despair, you've lost hope. You've lost hope in everything around you, and you just go around criticizing and complaining and just, oh, it's miserable. Now what are we going to do? <laughs> well, I think the Bible says we're to trust the Lord. He'll direct our steps. That sounds like a good plan. No, you're going to do that. I'm going to sit over here and just sulk. Sing one more verse. Right thinking. You know how you get right thinking? Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beg you by the mercies of God 
to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to him. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may know what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. That's what right thinking does, transformed, right thinking. We also have to be right living. Philippians 4, 9 says, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You cannot separate an outward action from an inward attitude. Can't do it. If you go back to even the Sermon on the Mount, I know when you read the Sermon on the Mount and you read through it, you're going, oh, blessed are the poor in spirit. Oh, you gotta sing that verse one more time. Poor in spirit. Poor in spirit doesn't mean that you have a spirit that is poor. It means that you know your condition before the Lord. You are sorry for the sin that's in your life and you realize that the only hope you have is Jesus Christ, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's not being self-righteous. It doesn't mean that you are poor-spirited. It means when you lose the game, you take your baseball and your bat and you go home. That's not poor spirit. It means you are helpless in your own estate. and You depend upon the omnipotence of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So we should well and mourn. No. Doesn't mean that we walk about in great sorrow and despair over life in general. We mourn over our sin. We mourn over our sin. We mourn over sinfulness in the world that lies in darkness. We look at the presidential candidates and we go, wow, that's all we've got? Oh, God, have mercy on us. But I'm going to rejoice because my life doesn't depend upon the president of the United States. My existence does not dwell upon what policies and procedures they put in place. And yes, they can vote on whatever Supreme Court nominee they want. That's okay. I know the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I know the great judge who sits above all of them. I will be mournful that our world has come to this. But when you read through all those, blessed are the gentle, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are the merciful, they shall receive mercy, blessed are the pure in heart. And he comes over and he even says this, blessed are those who have, are peacemakers and those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But look what he says in verse 12. Rejoice and be glad. Over all of that, over all of the poor in spirit mourning and persecuted, over all of that he says, rejoice and be glad. How many times he tells us to rejoice, to rejoice, to rejoice. We are to be those who rejoice because we are right living, right living. Romans 5.1 says, we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That ought to allow you to rejoice. We ought to clap. We ought to thank the Lord that we are justified by faith. My peace, my joy, all of that is in Jesus Christ. And I would tell you, if you look back at Philippians 4, especially looking at verse 7 and verse 8 and 9, that yes, 
the peace that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your mind. But when you think and dwell upon these things that are honorable and right and pure, it says, the, and you practice these things, it says the God of peace will be with you. I don't want just the peace of God. I want the God of peace in my life. I don't want to just walk about and know that someday I get to go to heaven. I want to know that today God has given me an abundance. And I'm not talking about in my checking account because you look at my checking account and it's not abundant. I want you to know that in spite of all that, I have an abundance of joy. I have an abundance of peace. I have an abundance of faithfulness and patience and love. That's what God wants us to hold and let that exude from us. It is right living. We also must be those who are right in the Lord. When troubles encroach your life, what do people see? Do you continue to act upon what you see or who sees you? Do we see the majesty of God or do we see the mess of humanity? I would think that if you really want to practice what Philippians chapter 4 says, then you need to practice Philippians 1, Philippians 2, Philippians 3. Oh, let's just go on back to the very beginning. You know, start with Genesis 1-1 and let's just work our way through that. We'd be here a while. But we'll never secure the mind of Philippians 4 until we have secured right in the Lord. Now, folks, I would tell you as you end, and I end this, I want you to know that the joy of the Lord is not something that's just offered to you. It was a joy for him before he even created to look and say, hmm, I'm going to create them. I'm going to let them dwell. I'm going to let them exist because I love them and I want to have fellowship with them. And I want to walk with them and talk with them. I want to do some great things in their life. And all of those that have gone on before us, Hebrews 12, 2, and all says, those that have gone on before us, this great cloud of witnesses, uh, encourages us to lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the author, perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. How in the world, how in the world could Jesus Christ look at the cross and say, joy, joy. How could he grab that cross with such excitement and know that this is joyful, you think it was painful? Sure. Pain no other human could truly understand while he was nailed to that cross. And it wasn't that it was the nails or the crown of thorns or uh, the beatings. It was your sin and my sin that was upon him. And it was the joy set before him that allowed him to endure that. My dad was a passionate man. He led his family to the Lord. He led us through church ministry 
And I think as a result of that, my oldest brother pastors a church down south. My middle brother's involved in a ministry uh, with camps and recreation. And here I am today. I don't know what I'm doing. Director of missions, what does that mean? I, some people ask me that. And I said, well, I'm working on a definition. Come talk to me next year. I'll get it figured out. I know what it means. But I attribute all of that to the joy that my dad had. The joy that even my brothers and I have had. We have great, great family reunions. Especially with our nieces, nephews. Joy. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He had joy. Endured a cross. Despised the shame. And today, he has sat down at the right hand of God. Folks, that's where we're heading. We're heading for the presence of God. Every single one of us are heading for the presence of God. To those who are able to rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, it's not about a bottle of something or a joystick, and it's not even about pictures. It's, it's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that relationship with Jesus Christ allows us to stay in his presence. I don't know what it's going to be like. I don't know that there's going to be big stands over here that we get to sit and watch all of our loved ones and all of those friends kind of walk before the Lord and we're sitting in the stands and we go, oh, here comes so-and-so. I bet they're not coming to heaven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're gone. They're gone. Woo. I don't think that's what it's going to be like. Because... Bible tells me that Jesus loved all. He desires all to come, but only those who believe in their heart confess with their mouth. Only those who truly are possessed. It's not that I have something, it's that someone has me, and I know that, that I can rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And when that day comes, you betcha. I get to stand next to my dad again and I get to sing. I get to see my grandmother again. And woo, mm, get to see that precious lady. I get to see some precious people that I've done funerals for for years. Precious lady holding my hand in a nursing home and she just wanted, she said, Robert, can I sing you a song? And I said, well, you go right ahead. She just started singing in her little frail voice, Do you know my Jesus? Do you know my Lord? And everybody else in that nursing home knew when she was out in her wheelchair going up and down because she was singing. She had rheumatoid arthritis. Her body was broken and frail, but there she's up and down the hall singing because she's rejoicing in the Lord always. Is that where you are? Are you rejoicing in the Lord always? I want you to stand to your feet as we just close out this, this little more than an hour. And I want to give our, our folks a chance to just get into place as we find ourselves today. Are we rejoicing in the Lord for all the things that he has? Are we giving thanks in all things because this is God's will for us? Or, or are we kind of just meandering through life in a fog 
because all the circumstances in our life are just pounding at our door? What is it? What is it that's knocking on your heart's door? Because if it's Jesus Christ, he's knocking, wanting to have fellowship with you. But I know Jesus is not the only one that's knocking on many of our doors. And today, you have the choice to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Marco's down here, and if you want to speak with him or pray, I know he would be more than blessed to pray with you. And I know Randy is too, and and I'll be here, but I want us just to have a moment to just rejoice. And if you can't rejoice, you need to come because this is lasting eternal joy in the Lord Jesus. Father, I pray that you will take your word and you will touch our hearts and let us know that only in you is there everlasting joy. Only in you can we find peace. In Jesus' name.